Good evening to you all and a very warm welcome. This is the first time for me being up here since the whole coronavirus situation started. And I have to say it's a slightly disconcerting experience seeing all those faces with face masks on, the sort of blue ones and the nicely floral patterned ones are okay, but sort of the dark the black ones. I'm half expecting someone to say, sort of, give me your wallet and car, key car keys. So I hope I will be able to get out of here in time safely tonight. Shall we start with a word of prayer? Father, we want to thank you that we can meet together, Lord, that despite circumstances and difficulties, we can meet, we can meet together, and we can meet with you. And we just want to thank you for that privilege and pray that you will help us to put any distractions of the week aside, forgive us for anything we might have said or thought or done that wasn't pleasing or honoring to you, Lord, and help us to indeed focus on worshiping you and lifting up your name this evening together, Lord. Amen. Uh, the musicians will uh, help us with praising God by uh, singing, O oh God, Beyond All Praising.
like to read you a few verses from Isaiah chapter 32, and we'll be reading from verse 14 till the end of the chapter. So Isaiah 32 from verse 14. This is a section addressed to the women of Jerusalem, and first it talks about the troubles to come their way, and then in the section we will read there is a change. The fortress will be abandoned, the noisy city deserted. Citadel and watchtower will become a wasteland forever, the delight of donkeys, a pasture for flocks, till the spirit is poured out upon us from on high, and the desert becomes a fertile field, and the fertile field seems like a forest. Justice will dwell in the desert, and righteousness live in the fertile field. The fruit of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. My people will dwell in, the pe in peaceful dwelling places, in secure homes, in undisturbed places of rest. Though hail flattens the forest and the city is leveled completely, how blessed you will be sowing your seed by every stream and letting your cattle and donkeys range free. That's something that the women of Jerusalem could look forward to. It's also something that we can look forward to. Let's have a short time of prayer. Let's just start with maybe a minute or so of quiet prayer. Each and every one of us can just uh, bring whatever we need to bring to the Lord, and then I'll lead us in prayer. Shall we pray? Father, we, <clears throat> we thank you that we can freely come to you because of what Jesus has done. We want to thank you for the kind of Heavenly Father that you are, that you are a God who knows us intimately, who knows our worries, who knows where we stand, who knows the things we struggle with, but also shares in our joys. We just want to thank you, Lord, for who you are. We want to think of those of us who are struggling, Lord, be it with health problems or with other things, and we just want to commit them to you. We want to commit ourselves to you as well with whatever preoccupies us. And we just want to pray that you will help us tonight, but the week to come as well, to indeed focus on you, Lord, to live our lives in a way where you can smile on us, where you are pleased with the things we do and the things we think and the things we say. We pray for our brothers and sisters, Lord, and we just lift each other up in our individual circumstances, and we want to 
indeed think of those who are finding it particularly hard, who maybe can't for health reasons meet with us and are reliant on, on the streaming or other means of keeping up with us. And we want to pray that you will be very, very close to them, Lord, that you through your spirits will make up what is lacking in not being able to meet physically, Lord. Pray for those who can be here, but who have worries, who have health problems, and we pray for those brothers and sisters as well, Lord, that you are close to them, that you lift them up, that you strengthen them, Lord. We just want to thank you that we know that you care, you care more than we could ever imagine, and we take comfort from the fact that you are there with us, Lord, that we're not alone, but you are with us each and every step of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. We know that Jesus prepared a place for us, and that's something we will be reading about soon when we turn to our passage in John for the evening. But let's just remind ourselves by listening to Prepared a Place.
you would turn with me please to uh, the gospel of John, John chapter 14. We will be mainly focusing on verses 25 to 31, but we'll be reading from verse 15. So John chapter 14 from verse 15 till the end of the chapter. If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord... Why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who doesn't love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything, everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Do you worry? I suppose in the present circumstances we have more to worry about than normally. And even if we're honest, normally there can be quite a few things that worry us, that preoccupy us. And here 
in John's Gospel near the end of Jesus' ministry on earth. The disciples are worrying, and they seem to have good reason to do so. We just read in the chapters preceding our chapter 14 that Jesus had told the disciples that he would die, that he would be betrayed. So they know about his coming death, and naturally they are worried. I'm sure they're not just worried, they're confused. Why would Jesus die? Hadn't he come to herald in a new kingdom? How could that be? What were these last three years all about? What would happen to them if Jesus would die? And Jesus reassures them. Let me just read a few verses from the beginning of our chapter, chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And in verse 18, that we've already read, he said, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. So Jesus is reassuring the disciples. But in this chapter and the following ones, he is also explaining to them why the things that will happen are indeed going to happen. What's the, the reason behind it to clear up this confusion? and to set him on the path to continue after his death and resurrection. So that's what's happening in this chapter and following chapters. There are five sayings in these chapters about the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit would be crucial for the disciples, for the church, in carrying on. He tells them, that his death will not be the end. Verse 12 and onwards, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So, the fact that he wouldn't physically be with the disciples anymore doesn't mean that whatever it is that had started and that the disciples were now a little bit confused about, that that thing wouldn't carry on. It wouldn't be the end. It would be a change in what was going on and the disciples needed to come to an understanding of what exactly that change would be. So his death will not be the end, and if they love him, Jesus says, they will obey his commands. And to help with that, the Father will give them another counselor, the Spirit of Truth, that's verse 16 and 17. Now the Greek word used for counselor here literally means someone called alongside. It would sometimes be used uh, in a legal context. 
if you were summoned to court because of something you had done, you could bring someone alongside with you to give you guidance, to be a character witness, to speak for you. So the Holy Spirit is described as a counselor, as someone who will be called alongside them. Jesus also says another counselor, implying that he was and had been a counselor to his disciples. But the fact that he will soon leave, and that was the thing that was preoccupying the disciples, the fact that he will soon leave doesn't mean that they will be left without counsel. The last bit of verse 17, he says, You will know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit lives with you and in you. Then in 18 to 21, and let's just briefly read those verses again. Um, I will not leave you as orphans. We've just read that. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to him. So they will not be left alone, they will not be left destitute. Jesus will firstly come to them in the resurrection. And because of what he will have done, they will ultimately live with him. And because of what he will do, the Holy Spirit can come and they won't be alone. As we just read, the Spirit will be with them and in them. They have his commands, and as we will see, the Holy Spirit will remind them of these commands of Jesus' teaching. And as people who love the Father, they will be loved. Their part, and that extends very easily to us, our part is to obey these commands. So now turning to our little section of chapter 14, 25 to 31. So, so far the disciples have been reassured they won't be left alone, and even more importantly, that all these things that were to happen soon would lead to Jesus preparing a place for them, where he would eventually take them to be with him. And all these things are not despite his death, but only possible because of his death and resurrection. So it's not, okay, I will die, but you will still be all right. It's rather, I have to die and rise again in order for you to be all right. That's the thing that the disciples and us need to wrap our heads around. So 25 and 26, at this time, Obviously, Jesus is still on earth. He is still physically with them. But when he no longer is, and that time is coming soon, and that's the reason the disciples are worried, 
when he no longer is the Holy Spirit, will remind them of all the things that Jesus taught them. He will teach you all things, the Holy Spirit, right alongside them, helping to remember, understand, and apply all the things that Jesus taught in their own lives. And the very same thing is true for us. We have the Holy Spirit in our lives if we are Christians. And the Holy Spirit opens up the world. It's not just an intellectual understanding, but it is applying it to our lives, seeing which kind of things we maybe haven't fully taken on board yet, and helping us to take the next step there. In 27 then, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. So he's telling the disciples, and by extension he is telling us, that he will give us peace. But it's his peace. It is not as the world gives. So maybe it would be helpful to look at the peace the world could give just to make sure that we understand in what kind of aspects the peace that Jesus gives is different from that. Well, at its most simplest, peace means the absence of war. That is one thing that the world could give you if you're lucky enough to live in a place where there is no war. In Jesus' day, that peace would be the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, heavily enforced by the sword. Another way the world could possibly give us peace or a sense of peace is if we feel financially secure. I've got nothing to worry about. I've got a job that pays a decent wage. I've got my pension plan, my savings. And that can give us a sense of peace. I will be okay because of the savings. Even if I lose my job, I could ride out a storm. It's going to be okay because I have these financial arrangements in place. Some of you might now be thinking about the parable in Luke of the rich fool. So let's quickly turn to that, if you would. Luke chapter 12 from verse 16, where Jesus addresses that kind of attitude, that kind of sense of peace, I will be okay because I'm financially secure. Jesus told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will turn down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but isn't rich towards God. And that last little bit is kind of the key to the parable. 
It's not so much that it's completely wrong to store up riches, but if that is to the exclusion of being rich towards God, you're completely missing the point. So, peace the world could give us if we attain financial security, that gives a sense of peace. You might get a sense of peace from being socially accepted by your peers, your fellow students, your work colleagues, that can feel good and can feel safe and rewarding. Another sense of peace is by numbing any feelings of not being at peace, be it alcohol, drugs, they can be another artificial way of trying to attain peace by numbing anything that might make you feel unpeaceful, upset, whatever it might be. Finally, people pursue peace by a healthy lifestyle, a good diet, lots of exercise, mindfulness, all these kind of things, so you can live as healthily and as long as possible. Let's extend my life in the here and now by being as healthy as I can, and then I'll hopefully be okay for a good number of years. So Jesus says, when he is talking about peace, I do not give to you as the world gives. So he is talking about a different kind of peace. And later, after considerably more teaching in chapter 16, he says, I have told you these things so that you may have, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In this world you have trouble, so if you do indeed find that you have trouble in this world. It isn't necessarily because you're doing anything wrong. It's not because you have sinned and God is getting even with you. No, it's part and parcel of being in this world, and even as Christians we are still in this world, that we can expect that it will not give us peace. It might give us trouble. But take heart, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. So Jesus is talking about a different kind of peace. The Jewish word for peace is shalom, and it was used both as a greeting when you met someone and as a farewell when you left. You would say shalom, you would wish peace upon them. But in Jesus' case, this was no ordinary farewell. Yes, he had told his disciples he was going to die, so he wouldn't be there anymore, so farewell, yes, but no ordinary farewell. He is explaining to them that he would accomplish true peace, real peace between people and God. That's the one thing why it's not an ordinary farewell. And the second one is he would return, so it wasn't a farewell forever. And this peace that he is talking about was anticipated in the Old Testament. It isn't a new thing that all of a sudden crops up here in the Gospels. It was always God's plan and purpose. Many places in Isaiah refer to this peace. We've already looked at one 
very famous passage in chapter 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. But it wasn't just Isaiah which was looking forward to this peace that Jesus would bring. Psalm 29, 11, the Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Ezekiel 37, 26, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. And that's what Jesus is referring to here, this covenant, this covenant between God and people, establishing a new covenant, surpassing the covenant, for instance, he had with Abraham and therefore the Israelites, a new covenant that brings peace between God and us, between God and the disciples he was talking to. And that's the only way that we can have true peace. We can try and pursue it in all kinds of ways, and we've looked at some, but we'll never really get there. We are God's creation, and we are created to have fellowship with Him. So anything less than that, we will never truly feel at peace. God has created us for fellowship with Him, and of course, we know that sin stands in the way, makes it completely impossible. And that's the new covenant and the sacrifice of Jesus dealing with that enormous issue so that there can be this peace, so that there can be this relationship between God and us. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Jesus is telling his disciples, he is also telling us, because he can give us peace. Verses 28 and 29, you heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. <coughs> Excuse me. So that's a major thing of what Jesus is aiming for here, to clarify things in the disciples' minds so they would understand what was going on. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. The I am going away and I'm coming back to you shouldn't be a source of worry for the disciples. They should be glad. It refers, obviously, to his death and resurrection. The death and resurrection that we said makes the peace between God the Father and people possible. They should be glad that Jesus is going to the Father, for he says, the Father is greater than I. I don't know what you think when you hear the Father is greater than I. Is that confusing in any way? We teach the Trinity, we teach, teach that Jesus is God. And at least among theologians, this has caused 
a lot of discussion over the centuries. Does it mean that Jesus isn't God when he says that the Father is greater than him? Does it mean that he is somehow inferior, like a demigod? But we should see it in the context of other clear passages, and even when we limit ourselves just to the Gospel of John for now. In chapter 10, verse 30, for instance, it says, I, am the fa I and the Father are one. And the prologue of John the first, 18 verses, chapter 1, I suspect many of us know these verses by heart. In the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word obviously referring to Jesus. The Word wasn't only with God, but the Word was God. So it's very clear that the teaching is that Jesus is God, Jesus is divine. And just because there is a father-son relationship, it doesn't mean that the son is any less God than the father. So we shouldn't get hung up on that particular thing. It's not denying Jesus' deity. And Jesus told his disciples beforehand of these things so that they would believe when it happens. And then he says, I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. The prince of the world coming refers, obviously, to Satan planning, working towards Jesus' death, not knowing that that, in fact, would be his own demise. These things were ordained by the Father, just as these passages that we briefly read, these verses we read from the Old Testament, talk about the kind of peace that would come through the Messiah. The disciples need to understand it's all part of God's greater plan. Jesus dying isn't, oops, I tried, but it went wrong. But now I'm fulfilling exactly what the Father wants me to do. That's what needs to sink in for them. His death and resurrection are the way to peace, the only way to true peace for the disciples then, people he was talking to, and for us now. So in conclusion, there are obviously a lot of things we can worry about and a degree of worry can be a good thing because it can help us to act sensibly, maybe take reasonable precautions. If you're needing to cross a busy road and you see all the cars flashing past and you have to be careful here and you look both ways before crossing, that's only good and helpful. Having some savings for a rainy day, there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe a sensible precaution, as long as we're not like the foolish rich man in the parable we read about, and that it take the place of God. Wearing a face mask, a sensible precaution. If a student has an exam coming up and they're a bit nervous and anxious about that, if it motivates them to actually sit down and study for the exam, 
that's a good thing. They might get a very good grade. So worry in itself isn't necessarily a problem. But we should realize that all these kind of precautions that we might want to take are just temporary measures for a temporary situation. And now I'm not saying don't worry, the coronavirus is only temporary, hopefully it is. But when I'm talking about a temporary situation, I'm talking about our lives here. That's what our life here on Earth is. It's a temporary situation. Of course, human life is important, but it's still fleeting, and it should lead to something else, to going to this place that Jesus has prepared for us. So anxiety-reducing measures, whatever they might be, are fine, but they're temporary measures for a temporary situation. Our permanent destiny lies elsewhere. Once again, those verses at the beginning of our chapter, don't let your hearts be troubled, trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, I would have told you, I am going there to prepare a place for you. That's our permanent destination. It lies elsewhere. And worry and anxiety can become a problem if we get or if we attach too much significance to our temporary present situation. What matters more than anything else is our relationship with the Father, and that's our source of peace. Knowing that my sins will not be counted against me, that my sins have been forgiven, that I've been born again to new life, that God is my heavenly Father, that I'm his child, that I'm not alone, that I have the Holy Spirit, that I have the church. Those are the kind of things that matter. What matters is our relationship with the Father. And that's the only way to ultimately get peace. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid, Jesus said. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Not I've taken the trouble away, but he's overcome the world, he's overcome sin and all its consequences in our lives. This separation from God, that's the peace that he has brought. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not making light of anxiety. I know it can be a real problem. I know it can sometimes become paralyzing. And we can't say that as Christians we shouldn't have anxiety. If only we had faith, we wouldn't have to be anxious about anything. I think that's a silly way of looking at things. In the Gospel of Matthew and Mark, we read about Jesus being very deeply distressed and troubled in Gethsemane at the prospect of what would be facing him or what was facing him. And he said to three of his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus wasn't feeling particularly confident in that situation, and he was struggling. 
Hebrews talks about uh, Jesus as our great high priest, and it says the following, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, if you are struggling with anxiety and you go see your GP, they might suggest that you could have therapy for that, and that can be very helpful. I don't want to take away from that. That's how I earn my living. And there are all kinds of different approaches when it comes to uh, therapy for anxiety. They might suggest desensitization. If you're particularly anxious about a certain thing, you kind of expose yourself to it in limited measures and keep doing that, and you might just become less sensitive to it. Maybe hand-in-hand hand with relaxation techniques. It might suggest distraction by focusing on something else. The therapist might suggest identifying and then challenging unhelpful ways of thinking. They're all good, they can all be helpful. But we have something that goes beyond that. Jesus is teaching in the passage and the further chapters in John helps us to get our thoughts and priorities right. It gives us comfort and it gives us something of ultimate value to focus on. The fact that Jesus loves you enough to die for you, that the agent of creation, the one who created the universe, the all-powerful God. As Graham Kendrick says, the one who flung stars into space. That Jesus who made everything that we can see, the universe that is bigger than we can comprehend, he created it all. That Jesus cares about you. Important people in this world, the Queen or Boris Johnson, they don't know you if you were to go up to them. Well, you probably couldn't even. You would be tackled by some security people. But they wouldn't know you personally. Yet Jesus, so far beyond any important person in our country or the world, knows you, and he knows you intimately. And he paid the price for your sin. Because of that, we can be at peace. We can be at peace with God. And that's the only way that we can truly experience peace. So our primary aim then in closing shouldn't be to try and, and arrange our little bit of the world in such a way as to gain as much peace as we can, but instead to focus on what really matters. What really matters is that Jesus has prepared a place for us and he will take us there to be with him. 
it really matters that in the here and now we have the Holy Spirit and the church. So it's not just, it's a future hope that I will be with Jesus because he's prepared a place for me. But I kind of have to get there first and I have to struggle now. In that struggle, we are not alone. We've got the Holy Spirit who, as Jesus said here, will remind us of all the things that he taught, bring them to mind, the Holy Spirit who guides and directs us, the Holy Spirit who even prays for us. And we've got the church, we've got our brothers and sisters who can share our burdens if we open up to them, who can pray for us and we for them. We're not alone. And finally, it matters truly that we share Jesus' concern that the world knows what he has done and more people are brought into his kingdom. The last verse of our little section for this evening, the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. And that's why we're here, to share that message with the world, the story of what Jesus has done. Amen. The musicians will sing for us how firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord.
Shall we pray? Lord, we want to thank you that you are more than enough, Lord. You are there for us in all circumstances. You have made it possible for us to be at peace with the Father, with you. And we can just lift up your name, Lord, and thank you that we can rely on you, that there is no conditions, no ifs or buts, but you are more than enough for everything, Lord, and we thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you.